Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019-AM1260-The Horn. Hook them up indeed. Man, we've been your uh, PSA today. Help you do Christmas shopping for the tough shop for person out there. By the way, I mentioned golf gifts for the golfer out there. Let's get them around to golf. Oh, yeah. Can't, exactly. Pragmatic. He likes to play golf. Get them get around to golf. Go, you know, find, some, find a course. Beautiful go to their ideas. website. Yep. I'm a big fan of those things. Hey, I love hey Rod, it is uh, Christmas shopping time, December the 21st. I mentioned it's my dad's birthday. It's also our man uh, Seti Bear's birthday. Oh, Seth Golden. Nice. Happy birthday out there to Seth. Happy B-Day, Seti Bear. We're climbing on to Christmas, and uh, we're through the uh, mm-hmm. the National Signing Day conversation, Rod. And now we're recapping it. You'll have more on that coming up in Rod's rant. Or is the rant about the Texans and Browns today? Yeah, I'm going to get into some uh, Texans-Browns a uh, little bit in the uh, Rod's rant. They will review the Cowboys-Dolphins matchup because it's a huge matchup, man. It's uh, for the Cowboys and for the Dolphins, both of them. Can Joe Flacco overtake Baker Mayfield for comeback player of the year if this continues? No, it's Baker's. <laughs> it's, and no, I'm serious. I, I don't think he can because I think it's Baker Mayfield's. I really do. I think Baker did it. He's doing a, he's doing a great job. Nobody's paying attention to him, and I think it's helping him. Actually, yeah, he's under the radar. He's under exactly. <laughs> he doesn't have all of the you know the hoopla, the commercials, the notoriety. Not a lot of pressure on him. He's just there playing good ball with Tampa. I'll give you a stat. Uh, in the last game, the Bucks won. He became the third QB in NFL history with 375 plus passing yards. He had 381, four plus passing touchdowns. He had four uh, and a 158.3 pass rating, the highest attainable mark in a road game. Just the third quarterback to do so. Um, in NFL history, joining Nick Foles and Ken O'Brien. Props to Baker. Uh, You're balling, man. I'm with the Lake Travis Cavaliers on the show. We're talking about Cameron Dicker doing fun digital stuff and then Baker Mayfield. Uh, No, that's a big ass. Why tonight's game is so big. The Saints play the Rams. The the Saints – Rams could do the Saints a big – or the uh, Buccaneers a big favor by beating the Saints tonight because the Buccaneers are tied right – they're the division leader, but they're even at 7-7. and Uh, I'd like to see Baker and the Buccaneers win that division. Yeah, I I think – well, they got the best quarterback in the division. They should. And it's the worst division in football by far. I mean, it's not even close. Uh, And I think that right now the way Baker's playing, uh, not only does he right now deserve comeback player of the year – uh, but also, I'm with you. I mean, I think he's playing good enough for them to win that division and get to the playoffs. One thing I also say that I like about the Baker Mayfield story, I know I'm a Baker Mayfield fan. I, Longhorn fans know that. I, they're annoyed by it. <laughs> um, he's, one of my, he, I, he's one of my favorite Sooners, and I know that's weird to say a favorite Sooner. It's like saying you got a favorite serial killer. But uh, he, I, I will say this. I like his story. The <laughs> serial killer? Yeah, no, I mean, nobody has one of those, <laughs> do you? Uh, I think uh, a favorite Sooner. Yeah. You shouldn't. And if you, have a, you shouldn't have a favorite serial killer. Like, I shouldn't have a favorite Sooner. But I digress. My point Jack being. Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, man. Trust me, I, I know some people actually would be able to answer that question. Um, but the thing about ba- Baker's like uh, trajectory now, because it's so unorthodox, his path now to come back to being a, worthy of being a starting quarterback in the NFL, it kind of reminds you of the Geno Smith path. Like Geno Smith had an, uh, an unorthodox path to becoming a starter again in the NFL. And we're starting to see more of these stories uh, in the NFL. Jared Goff had a – a kind of an unconventional path back to becoming a franchise quarterback now with Detroit. I'm not even sure if they thought he'd be a franchise quarterback. They thought he'd probably be a, a bridge, a uh, gap quarterback, kind of a bridge quarterback. So they figured out who the franchise guy was going to be. Now there's talk that, hey, man, 
Goff might be the future franchise quarterback yep. for the Detroit Lions uh, with the way that offense is playing. We'll see how it looks with Ben Johnson gone, though, after this season in that offense. But that's another discussion for a different day. But you're starting to see more unconventional routes of quarterback. Remember, you used to give up on quarterbacks pretty easily. Uh, you give them, you know, two, three years with the team that drafted them. If it didn't work out, they were considered a bust, and they became a backup quarterback pretty much, or a bridge quarterback, or a stopgap quarterback for the most part. Now you're seeing guys who, who uh, they followed that route. They go from being, you know, conventional, you know, quarterbacks and teams obviously projecting they're going to be franchise quarterbacks, have an initial failure. Uh, become a stopgap or a bridge quarterback or backup, and then they almost have this reinvention where they can reinvent themselves and then get back to a starting well, position. You said kind of outside the spotlight and not with all the hype. You know what I mean? And, and that Geno Smith was similar in the way he sure, did he was that. in New York. I mean, he was a jet quarterback. Yeah. They always have the big spotlight, even though they stink usually. Uh, but, look, I mean, Baker's on, on track for a 4,150-yard season, he's 20 top, touchdowns. Yeah. He's yeah, top he's, 10 in passer rating right now, mm-hmm. I believe. He's playing real good. He's playing real good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, but the story of, uh, of Joe Flacco, when you get to the Browns and Texans, can't be understated. This guy's been unbelievable. Yeah, he did. I mean, because he's not just coming in and the, the, the Jake Browning, Joe Flacco stories are really interesting because they're not just game managing. They're actually playing. I mean, no. they're leading their teams. Uh, at a high level, which is pretty damn impressive right now. Um, th- this kid, Jake Browning, is playing great. He's well, I think it's showing you that offense is – we thought it was the Joe Burrow offense yeah. because it was specifically designed for Joe Burrow. Zach Taylor's showing you guys right now, like, hey, I mean, he's got some coaching chops. This is not the Joe Burrow offense. <laughs> this is the Zach Taylor offense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll give you this, that uh, since he's been, been called off his mom's couch, how about these last two games for Joe Flacco? 374 yards, two touchdowns last week. The week before, 311 yards and three touchdowns the week before. Um, you know, he had three picks. The turnovers, against, yeah. He had three picks against there. the Bears. But he, that was early. That's why they fell behind. But he brought them back. Jake Browning did the same. So, look forward to these, uh, these quarterbacks this weekend. And, obviously, the, the best quarterback matchup is Dak Prescott-Tua. No question. Dak Tua. Yeah, two guys who were in the MVP discussion early in the year. I don't, and I don't know who the hell is gonna, who's the leader for MVP now. I don't think we know. Purdy. It's Purdy. I got McCaffrey. Give me C-Mac. Because Purdy and everybody else telling McCaffrey, we just haven't had a running back with it in a really, really long time. Getting back to the quarterbacks, though, and Jake Browning, how well he's playing. um, Just one QB since 1950 has 1,000-plus passing yards and completing 75% or more of their passes in their first four starts. It's Jake Browning. He's the only one. Since 1950. It's a hell of a start. Rod's Rand here coming up. Also, the – Conversation with Mike Craven, bottom of the hour. Dave Campbell's Texas football, the senior writer. Uh, his thoughts on National Signing Day. Um, all right. Um, by the way, there, I think there's a player availability today that Mike's going to be at for Texas players before they leave for the bowl game. So okay. Nice. Get an update from Mike on that. Hey, can we play some more Sark sound, though, from yesterday? Let's do it. Uh, and they, they, obviously, we, we preview National Signing Day. Might as well review it as well as we can. Hey, because uh, we talked to C.J. Vogel earlier this morning from the Football Brainiacs, uh, Longhorn Insider. He uh, asked the question about the stigma of Texas having to you, – you talked about this yesterday in your rant, uh, that you know, when, when Texas first got here and Sark first got here, they, it was, they had a hard recruiting sell, right? They were trying to sell themselves, right. but they were also trying to, to, to break the stigma that mm-hmm. Texas doesn't develop players, which they weren't. They weren't playing for championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the narrative around Texas was obvious. It was, well, why aren't they winning? Like, what is going on? Uh, and obviously, in a short amount of time, year three now, this is the third recruiting cycle. 
now, it, as you said, it's re- easy to recruit now for these coaches because they, they almost get to cherry pick mm-hmm. who they want because, uh, as you said, Xavier Phil me said to everybody, all the kids in Texas want to play for Texas. Um, you're going to play in the SEC. You're going to play for championships now. You're getting developed. You're playing in Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sark's got a good locker room going on. Let's hear Sark when our friend CJ asked that question about uh, overcoming that stigma and now being on the other side of that. Ultimately, we can all talk about what we're going to be. And when I, when I got hired, I said we'd be the best developmental staff in the country. And, and I was very purposeful in the coaches that I did hire in the development of the players that they've had historically and then their success with a life after college in the NFL. And I think we saw a glimpse of that last year with the NFL draft, having those five guys drafted. Um, you know, you, when you have two defensive linemen drafted, two running backs drafted, and, and then DeMarvion at linebacker, like we're trying to develop those players in our program. But as those players develop in the program, team success should start to follow, right, as, as everybody starts to develop. And um, naturally, five and seven, eight and five, and now, now 12 and one in the college football playoff, um, our players are developing. And I think we'll see that when the NFL draft comes around this year, that more of our guys getting drafted into the NFL. So I do think, um, you know, the high school coaches recognize it when, when they're watching us play. Um, I think the NFL recognizes it as they come out to practice the scouts and watch our guys. But now the high school players, you know, the recruits are starting to recognize that. They're seeing players, you know, getting recognized. Sometimes it's hard for them. It's who's getting developed and how. But when they're getting recognized for accolades, you know, all-conference, all-American awards, Outland Awards, um, Senior Bowl representation, um, announcers talking about a player's development and how well he's playing, that that starts to validate us, you know, developing those guys. But I think we'll see even more of that recognition, like I said, when the NFL draft rolls around. But, again, we're not combating it nearly as much as we were when we first got on board. And and as I said then, you know, I can't speak for – what happened before we got here? All I can tell you is watch what happens now, and I think that uh, you know, kind of the proof's in the pudding that that it's happening. Oh, I like that, um, and he's right. I mean, development. He, he, I'm sure he did his research and studied the program. The big, and, and we know this because Sark did his research about how to construct his team to make them a, a championship contender. And he says he constructed the team to compete in the college football playoff. It just so happens most of your college football playoff contenders are SEC schools. So, ipso facto, he also <laughs> constructed his team to be a team that can contend in the SEC and win the SEC. Uh, so, kill two birds with one stone kind of thing. But I think he, he studied the program, and anybody who stu- studied Texas in the last 15 years knows that Texas talent acquisition has been on par with the best schools in the country for the last 15 years. Talent acquisition has not fallen off at Texas at all. What's fallen off at Texas was talent development. What fell off at Texas was the culture at Texas uh, became toxic um, and became rotten somehow. We saw that with the eyes of Texas, right, uh, and how the locker room was disjointed and, uh, and the head coach and the locker room weren't on the same page, that kind of stuff. And players were telling recruits not to come to Texas. <laughs> oh, you don't want to come here, man. No, you don't want to come here. You got a lot of stuff going on, right? And you had guys like Garrett Wilson saying, oh, no, you don't go to Texas because they don't develop talent. That's why I'm not going. That's one of the reasons I'm not going to Texas. I'm going to Ohio State where they develop really good wide receivers into NFL players and they compete for championships and now all that is changing so I think he understood what the narrative and the stigma was and 
Uh, trust me, I'm sure he had heard from other coaches what the negative recruiting pitch is against Texas, and he was out to, to shift that narrative. If you don't like what people are saying, change the conversation. And Sark has changed the conversation about himself and about Texas. 100%. Uh, 100%. And, uh, you know, as he said, you can say you were going to do it because the other coaches said they were going to do it too. Uh, mm-hmm. But you, it's an intentional thing day he had by a plan. day. He Just, had a plan. He had a plan. I, I don't he know if Charlie them. had a plan. I'm not sure Tom Herman – well, Tom Herman had a plan. I'm not sure the plan, plan just didn't work, and he didn't – he didn't adjust it. I think Tom had a plan. He had a plan. But he, he, he just he doesn't connect with people. He rubs yeah. people the wrong way. That was oh, he was very John Makovic like that way. Yeah. That uh, and Sark is very likable. He's uh, very warm. Yeah, and he's mm-hmm. approachable for yeah. his players. And, and look, even he said that that's something when he got his his next chance after what happened at USC. He was going to be that way. He was going to be a more open coach with his players. He was going to be an open book. He wasn't going to be, you know, that, that's the only way to build genuine connections is to be honest and open with people. And you, you've seen it. And, and, look, he can he can flat call plays. I mean, that was never the doubt, right, coming no. in. He was an offensive mind. That was that, never the issue. It was all about what, could he actually be a head coach. Yeah. That was a great play call and play designer. Well, I was reading this story. <laughs> Theathletic.com dropped a story today. Bruce Feldman talking about Texas and – Here's a quote in here uh, from one Big 12 defensive analyst talking about Sark. said, he has little to no tendencies. If he has one, he breaks it at the next week. His in-game adjustments are elite. We played a stack man concept to a route we thought was coming, and he had a counter to that that we had never seen. It was something off an and-one mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> like so, so now you're getting, you know, Sark – you're getting the good of Sark, which has always been his ability to call plays and yep. dial up offense, and, and now you're seeing the, the the total package. And we've always said, Rod, when you get the right coach at Texas, things roll downhill pretty pretty good, and it mm-hmm. feels like it's there. And now it's not blowing smoke. Now it's for real. They're playing for a championship, and the leadership and the culture is being handed to the next group and being expected to hold that mantle, right? Yeah. You know, there's, there's guys in this locker room who saw how Jalen Ford and Jade Barron and Tavondre Sweat and those guys and Roshan and Bijan before them, what the standard was. Then you, you can't roll in here as one of these 20 new players coming in in January and not meet that expectation, right? Yeah. Uh, you'll, it'll be the players that'll deal with you. Yeah. No, I, and I, I think if you hire the right coach, it doesn't matter you know, where you're hiring. Man. At Texas, it's, it's especially uh, dangerous to the rest of college football because of uh, the potential of the program, right? And the, when you get the BBs in the backs, how powerful the program could be and how powerful the brand can be. Uh, but look at Washington. Hired the right coach. Four, four wins. It's a couple of years ago. Four wins. They got no five stars on that, on that roster at all. <laughs> they got more three stars on their roster than uh, Texas has four stars. On the roster, all right? They got Caleb DeBoer. He brought his quarterback with him. Coaches are problem solvers, and he solved a lot of problems with that program. He and did. that's what he's doing. And that's what Sark did here. If you hired the right coach, and this is hope for the Aggies too, if you hire the right coach, it don't take long. No. The right coach and the right are, staff. The, the, yeah. the, the, well, the, the right coach will hire the right staff. That's, that's why right. the right coach is the key. Because right. the right coach will hire the right staff. He will find the right quarterback. He will solve the problems if you hire the right coach. Hire the wrong coach, then he will miss a lot of problems. He'll solve a couple of problems, but he'll, get a, he'll, he'll, he'll end up getting a lot of these things wrong or miscalculate a lot of things, and your program will be even in worse shape. What happened to Texas? You were in worse shape. It starts to deteriorate even more. That happens when you keep hiring the wrong guys. Right, That's that why when I, I erupted Tom. when they hired a Sark. Cause I, and I said, listen, I wasn't mad about the, the Sark hire of him. I was mad. I was like, if you get it wrong, three in a row, yeah. you're going to put this program in a disastrous state yeah. if you got it wrong. They didn't. They got it right.
They got it right. They got it right. Uh, and I'll, I'll give Sark this. He, you know, even after five and seven in the miserable first year, he didn't fire anybody. Like there are a lot of no. people wanted people fired. And Sark said, no, 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 no. That's been the problem here. We're not yep. a rotating door on our coaching staff. Yeah. We're going to build some continuity into this program. And, and now we're seeing the dividends. Yeah. Let me play one more and then we'll get to your rant. Uh, Mike Craven, bottom of the hour. But I wanted to play this because Sark gave a shout out to the volleyball team at the end of the press conference yesterday, which I oh, thought was, was appropriate. Cool. Yeah, was cool. uh, they win the national championship. And this is what's going on in this whole athletic department, that there's a, a winning mindset throughout the, the culture, not just of his team, but the whole athletic department. Here's Sark on the volleyball side. What a job Jarrett and his staff and that team did starting the season five and three uh, to finish the year as national champs and to beat what was supposed to be the two best teams in the country, uh, really the three best teams in the country consecutively going from Stanford to Wisconsin uh, to Nebraska and to do it in the fashion that they did. They were playing their best volleyball at the end of the season. And I thought it was fitting. And I talked to the team about this. They did an interview uh, with Madison Skinner after the game. And there was a moment there where she got a little emotional, and it was great. I, I loved every second of it. But she said, we were the best team in the country at the end of the year. We were peaking at the right time. We're, peak, we're playing our best volleyball right now. And I went, into the, I went into the team meeting the next day, and I said, you know, I almost felt like Madison Skinner was talking about us because we played our best two games of the year the last two weeks of the season, and now we need to continue to do it as we go into this Sugar Bowl to play our best brand of football of what it's going to take because that's what it takes to be a champion. And so very inspiring, so fired up for Jarrett, his staff, those girls. They, they had a heck of a season to be back-to-back national champs, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, you know, we, can, we can do our part to, to try to keep the, keep the momentum going here at Texas. There's a lot of great stuff happening here on the 40 acres right now, and so uh, we have an opportunity to do something special here starting uh, January 1st. Thanks, Coach. There you go. Yeah. Sark, He's right. It. They played their best football. They, that last game against Oklahoma State was their best red zone uh, offense that they've had all season long, even though that's been their biggest uh, weakness. That's been their bugaboos that, that really was keeping this, te- this team from being the number one team in the country is their red zone offense. Uh, their red zone offense was so bad. They were in the bottom of the uh, the rankings, about, I think, 120th in touchdown position in the red zone for most of the year. And when Mike Gundy said after the Big 12 title game, this team looks better in person than they looked on film, I think what he was referring to was red zone offense. They were 5-5 five and five in the red zone. Texas hadn't been that good in the red zone all season long. Well, if they do that, they'll he, beat Washington. <laughs> if they do that, they're going to win a national title. He, they Remember, against Tech, Tech, Texas had their best game against Tech all around. All three phases scored. You remember how bad they were in the red zone? It was like Benny Hill music was playing. And I came on the air and I said, listen, they played their best game of the year. We just have to accept the fact that they're not perfect and one of their imperfections is red zone offense. They're just bad at it. And Sark, I think, has accepted the fact that I can't figure it out. I don't know what the hell's going on. But in an Oklahoma State game, whatever happened, and hopefully it was more than just outlier. Hopefully it's them trending in the right way. If they are that lethal in the red zone, they're going to beat Washington. And they're going to beat whoever else after that too. Agreed. Uh, that was the only later. thing really holding his offense back. Good stuff uh, with Sark. Uh, real quick, breaking news out of San Marcos. G.J. Kinney has gotten a raise with Texas State. Going to pay him a million dollars a year for five years. Way to go, G.J. 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 And uh, this from Brett McMurphy, Rod, and before we get to your rant. Uh, Brett McMurphy of Stadium.com. Mm-hmm. This is a big story. We told you to watch for this after they got snubbed for the Final Four. But uh, Brett McMurphy says that uh, Florida State has called a board of trustees meeting for tomorrow to discuss the athletics future. The school's top, uh, this is the school's first step in FSU attempting to eventually leave the ACC. 
see. That's not a surprise. They've been talking. They've been barking about well, it for months. Well, now they're about to put some rubber meat in the road, yeah. it sounds like, here tomorrow. Yeah. All right, let's get to Rod's rant. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, oh you've done it now. It's time for Rod's oh. Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back. Let's get to uh, the Texans-Browns uh, matchup a little bit. We haven't talked enough about that. And I don't think anybody's paying attention to how good the Browns are. I said earlier, Browns, who are 9-5, and five, are on their fourth-string quarterback, which is Joe Flacco, um, and 26%, 26% of their salary cap right now is on injured reserve for the Browns. That is phenomenal, uh, considering all the adversity they're dealing with, and for them to be 9-5, and five, and that's why Kevin Stefanski is in the conversation, and he should be for Coach of the Year. I also think D'Amico Ryan should be uh, in the conversation for Coach of the Year, and he is, because the Texans have actually had a lot of injuries, too. They've played more unique starters than any team in the NFL except for the Panthers. Uh, unique players, I should say, than any team other than the Panthers. So, they've played a lot of guys too, and yet they still find themselves in a position uh, to compete for the division, uh, maybe even win the division, even make the playoffs uh, in D'Amico Ryan's first year. So I think this is actually your the matchup for your coach of the year front runners right now and for the, uh, the odds-on leaders for coach of the year in the NFL. Let's talk about what the Texans did uh, a little bit last week, and then that will uh, lead us to uh, the matchup this week versus the Browns. Got to throw this stat out there because it was really impressive. The Texas defense against the Titans, um, great comeback win for the Texans, end up winning that game in you know Tennessee when they had the, the Love Your Blue uniforms on and all the council. So very emotional game for the Texans. With their backup quarterback in, they were missing several starters on offense. Uh, Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz were kind of the go-to guys in that game. and the, But the Texas defense, they really did win the day. They held Derrick Henry. Uh, to one of his worst offensive performances as a pro. It might have been his worst, period. Uh, He was the first player in NFL history to have at least 20 touches in a game and produce less than 15 yards from scrimmage. So statistically, you could look at it and say, that's the worst game he's ever had. You got to give D'Amico Ryan's a lot of props for not only, you know, neutralizing Derrick Henry, but they just put him, they just... They just put the put a stone wall in front of him. They really did. He did not get anything. And he's one of those guys that once he gets to the second level, once he gets going downhill, it's really tough to stop him. They never let him get going downhill. They kept hit him in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and it, made, it played a huge role in the Texans being able to win that game versus the Titans. Fast forward this week, um, and the Texans' rush defense will probably have an easier time uh, in this game because the Browns, one of the places where they have been struggling a little bit, um, has really been their running game. Uh, Joe Flacco's been coming in, as he told you. Uh, they've been throwing the football a lot, uh, and he's thrown some interceptions, uh, but they've been throwing the football a lot, and the Texans have been really good lately at rushing the passer. So Joe Flacco, give us some numbers for him real quick and how well he's played. He ranks fifth in the NFL in passer rating off play action. He had a lot of play action pass. Um, if you go look at over the last three weeks since he's played, uh, 126.6 passer rating off play action. Their second in play action attempts since Joe Flacco became the starting quarterback. If they get their running game going, they they're going to be a really really tough offense to stop because they'll have kind of they'll have that complementary play action element off of it. And you go look at the uh, 
if you go look at um, the Houston like, defensive line, defensive line's been playing really good football. As a matter of fact, they're playing some of their best football of the season, especially when it comes to rush, uh, rushing the passer. The Browns have the, one of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL. Even though they like play action, their rushing attack is not great. So I pointed out, uh, over the last three weeks, they ranked 29th in yards per carry. That's 2.9. And in success rate on rushing plays, they're 37%. Not very good. So they're going to have to throw the ball against the Texans. I think the Texans are going to stop the run. We just talked about what they did to Derrick Henry <laughs> in the Titans running game. Um, and the Titans are not as good of a team as the Browns, but I do think that the Texans can neutralize the Browns running game and force Joe Flacco to beat them. And Joe Flacco will throw the football early and often. The Texas defensive line, though, you go look what they did against the Titans. Um, and you go look through the first three starts, though, for Joe Flacco. He's been pretty good, a savvy vet. He's got the third lowest sack rate in the NFL in that time span. So he's a, he's a veteran quarterback, and if we talked about analytically, a lot of the analytics and stats will show you that sacks are quarterback stats. And Joe Flacco is a savvy quarterback who says getting rid of the football and understands that, hey, man, I have to get rid of the football, whether it's you know to my target or if I get to get rid of it and throw it away. Always you can live to fight another day. Um, also, you go look at the, uh, the, the, the favorite target, I should say, for Joe Flacco, Nojoku. David Njoku, the tight end. Uh, since Flacco took over at quarterback, he leads all tight ends with 28 targets. He loves that safety blanket at tight end. He's at 18 receptions. That's second most for a tight end in that time span. 212 yards in that time span. Second most for a tight end. Three touchdowns. That is also second most for a tight end in that time span. They got to stop the run, which I think they'll do really well. Make the Browns one-dimensional and then take away Njoku. Because Najoku is his safety blanket. If you take away Najoku, he's going to throw you a couple of picks. Um, I think he will. Um, his success rate is the lowest in the NFL, 40.7. Talking about Joe Flacco here. 40.7 success rate in his three starts. Only Bailey Zappi and Bryce Young have been worse. So he hasn't been great. He needs the running game to compliment him. Or they put too much on his shoulders. And if you make them one-dimensional, the Texans can get – I think that we'll be able to put pressure on Joe Flacco, force him into making some mistakes. Um, and if he throws the foot – if he – you know, against the Texans defense, which is really opportunistic, if he's careless with the football, they will make him pay. The Texas defense is tied for eighth in the NFL in sacks generated without blitzing. So they can drop guys back in coverage and not blitz and still be able to get to Joe Flacco. They're sixth in the NFL in percentage of snaps playing, uh, sending just four pass rushers, about 75%, where they just send four pass rushers. And Derek Stingley, lately, and you talked about this too, E, he is playing like a Pro Bowl cornerback. He's played 17 games over his past uh, two seasons. Um, basically, now he got a full sample size. You can look at that full sample size. Um, he's got a passer rating allowed of 66, 15 PBUs, now five interceptions, one touchdown allowed. He's yards per completion, I think, is around 12. Most of that uh, achievement, if you will, have come this season when he's gotten uh, the bulk of the starts, uh, all the starts, actually. I think he may have missed one or two games because of injury. I'm not sure. But if, if Derek Stingley keeps playing at that level and they force Joe Flacco and the Browns to being a pass-first team, I think Derek Stingley will get him another, and Jalen Petrie could get him some. Those are two opportunistic players in the secondary. So I like the Texans' chances in this matchup versus the Browns. One thing I don't like is Case Keenum versus that Browns defense because you can make the argument either that it's the best defense in the league. 
Miles Garrett could win the uh, defensive MVP. Yeah. Defensive player of the year. Denzel Ward at corner is elite. They're um, first in passer rating allowed. First in well, defense and, and sex rate. And I don't think Nico Collins is going to play. Uh, that's a problem. I think Dell's already He's hurt. Out. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're down to your third option and, you know. You could get a defensive struggle here. That's I think, you, I think you get a very, this could look like the Jets game at times. Very low scoring. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. I mean, Houston would take a 16-13 win right now. I just, uh, as you Got talk the about the man. Texans, you know, you, one, one name that doesn't get talked about enough in Houston, they're in the NFL, is Jonathan Grenard, uh, the young pass rusher. He's got like 12 sacks now, Rod. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing, if you're a Texans fan, why you're excited is, you know, this team's built. I mean, they just have to fill pieces. But they, when, when you're talking about, when we talk about the Longhorns and how they've constructed their roster. I mean, the Houston Texans have their quarterback. They have their stud left tackle. They have two pass rushers and Will Anderson and Jonathan Grenard who can be your pass rush specialist for years. You have Derek Stingley emerging. You have Jalen Petrie who's kind of your, yeah. your playmaking safety. You, you have the pieces, Nico Collins. You know, uh, you, you have a lot of – and they're all under 26 years old. They're young. So you have a, a team that's kind of built to – this is how we build a championship team. They just got to get experience grow together, stay healthy, Rod, and then, you know, they're going to have draft picks again this year to just fill pieces, mm-hmm. add pieces. You've got the foundational pieces. Yeah. The tough part's done. And Nick Casario is showing an ability to go out and find Devin Singletary and Dalton Schultz and, you know, Sheldon Rankins and guys in the free agent market that don't they, – they come in and hit. Mm-hmm. It's like the portal for the Longhorns. You know, you come in and you fill holes with guys that – I mean, they, sell, they signed Devin Singletary for almost nothing, one-year deal from Buffalo. He's having a great year for them. Dalton year. Schultz was the Cowboys franchise yeah. player. They got him for a song uh, for, for Houston. So that's what you like about Houston, not just now and this weekend, but big picture. They seem to be well-built for the future at all the key positions, especially if C.J. Stroud gets healthy and continues to develop. All right, we'll come back. When we do, Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, his thoughts on the Longhorn signing class, also some signing day coverage from around the state, and uh, his thoughts from the uh, championship Saturday. Also, the Aggies. What's going on with Mike Elko down there? He'll have some intel on that as well, Mike, uh, Rod. Uh, Mike Craven coming next on Hook Him Up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays, and we're getting into the Christmas spirits, without a doubt. Rod, Rod's doing a good job. You watched a little bit of uh, It's a Wonderful Life last night, is that right? Got a little piece. That's my favorite Christmas movie. Got a chance to check out a little bit of it. My wife had it on when I got done with our own uh, on Texas uh, coverage of signing day, and I, I caught the last hour of it. That's like the that's the that's the best part of it anyway. Good to see it. Good to see a little uh, George a good, Bailey. Yeah, man. You asked a great question earlier. How many movies that are made in the '40s do we still watch consistently? Not many. Casablanca, maybe. I think honestly, it's a wonderful life. I don't know if people watch Casablanca consistently. I think you. <laughs> so that's how you watch Casablanca. Never seen it. Exactly. <laughs> the only reason I've seen it is because I had to watch it in film class. That's right. Exactly. That's I right. watched it because I'm a, I'm a movie dude, but I mean, people don't really watch that. I think It's a Wonderful Life is probably the only movie from the 40s that people consistently still watch to this day. It's got to be. Uh, I would say Rod, Rod is the, uh, an old soul over there watching his old movies and sitcoms. You know else is an old soul? If I know somebody's an old soul, it's this guy that's on the Vaqueros hotline. He's got an old soul to him. He does. He is my man, uh, the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Indeed. Texas Football. He's also my partner and co-host on the Eyes on Texas multicast, which we recorded last night, Rod. Yes, sir. Wanted to wait till signing. They normally come to that. We do it Monday and put it out on Tuesday. Uh, it'll be coming out today. It's a full hour on uh, signing day, the Longhorns. 
and all that entails that, the portal as well. But let's talk to Mike Craven, uh, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Before he was there, he was at the Austin American Statesman and curated that Fab 55. So a guy who knows a thing or two about high school football and the recruiting ranks, uh, he joins us now. What's up, Mike? Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas, guys. How y'all doing? What's up, Mike? Merry Christmas, brother. Yeah, man. Hey, I know you uh, You needed a down day on Monday after five days of Texas high school football championship games. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scene unlike any other, as you, as you so, so eloquently wrote for Dave Campbell's Texas football. But you, you, needed, a, you needed a break after uh, – I mean, how many hours did you spend at Cowboy Stadium? I mean, at least 48. I mean, you're, you're there from about 8 – well, more than that, I guess. I get there around 9 a.m., leave around midnight, do that Wednesday, Thursday – or yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So a long time – you know, I always joke that you know, AT&T Stadium is like the best prison that's ever been created, you know, because you get in there for so long, you feel like you live there. You get to your hotel, you go to sleep, you wake back up, you're right back in the stadium. So it, it can get a little bit weird, uh, but it's a lot of fun. It, it's probably one of the more Texan things that goes on in Texas. So uh, I advise everybody to get down there one time and at least do it once. Yeah, that is awesome. That That is awesome. Hey, uh, as we mentioned, you used to curate that Fab 55. It's not recruiting, not your beat any longer, but you know a lot about it. What did you make of uh, the Longhorn class yesterday of 22 high school players uh, capped off with Tyanthony Smith out of Jasper, stealing him from the Aggies, plus two portal commitments in Makuba and Golden. What was your overall takeaway? Yeah, I just love the balance of the class, right? I mean, every single position group has at least one commitment. There's four or five stars. There's a couple of three-star guys that I feel really good about. Uh, and so, to me, it this stuff becomes the NFL draft for teams like Texas, for teams like Alabama, for teams like Ohio State. And if you look at the draft, the, the positions of need are quarterback, offensive tackle, wide receiver, edge rusher, and corner. Texas knocks all of those out of the park, and they have the last couple of cycles. But this one, five-star wide receiver, five-star edge rusher, five-star tackle, five-star safety, high four-star cornerback. Um, you know, and so – to me, start hitting the notes all the all the right ways, and he's going about building this program in a way that's going to last. And Mike, I want to go back to you uh, covering the state title games, um, and just get your thoughts about how and why DFW and that Dallas area right now are starting to even separate from Houston, another area in in H Town that's you know a, a very fertile recruiting ground. But it used to be Dallas had maybe better football programs, but Houston had better talent. Um, but now DFW's got more talent, and they got the better football programs. And now you're seeing them matched up against the best representatives from the Houston area and beating them by 60. <laughs> what is going on, man? What are they putting in the water down there in DFW, up there in DFW? Because it, it, it seems like most of your – I think half your state champions – are DFW representatives. Um, they had seven of them played in, I think, the uh, state title uh, games. What's going on there? Is it coaching? Is it just talent overall? Are we talking about culture? Is it all of it? What is it? Uh, well, you know, that's, that's a pretty long answer that probably deserves an article in the offseason. But if you take away Port Neches Groves, you know, the southern part of the state, the, the if you split the state in half, the northern part of the state won every single state championship except for that Port Neches Grove. I would say the number one reason is resources. Uh, you know, you go down to Houston and I'm there a lot. You don't see many indoors. You know, you, I think there's two. Uh, three, maybe three indoors in Houston. You go to Dallas, almost every single district has at least one indoor. Um, and so when you have better weight rooms, when you have uh, better nutrition, when you have, um, you know, indoors, when you have stadiums that are huge, that draws better coaches and then better coaches develop those players. And so I think what we're seeing is, is one part of the state, specifically DFW, is 
investing into their high school sports and what it can do for their schools and what it can do for their young athletes. And you're starting to see uh, the dividends of it where places like Houston, even Central Austin, where we are in San Antonio as well, just either by not having the amount of money or just not wanting to make that investment just hasn't done it. I think the other part of that is school splits. If you go to Houston, even even a lot of places here in Austin and San Antonio, a lot of the districts have, you know, five, six, seven, eight schools. You don't see Frisco making the state title a game, for example, right? You're seeing it from a lot of schools that are one, maybe even two school district schools. And so that's the other part of it, too. They're better at consolidating their talent, keeping it in the same place. Like, there's no reason Allen doesn't have four high schools, right? But it doesn't because it's trying to win at different things. And so uh, I think Westlake kind of follow that model as well here in Austin. There's a couple that do it that way. But I, I would say the two biggest reasons are resources and then school splits. If Katie still had one or even two or three high schools, Katie'd still be winning that state championships every year. But now they got nine, and so that, that talent spreads out and they're not able to win as much. It's great yeah, answer. Yeah. Great stuff, stuff, Mike. Yeah, we had that awesome. debate uh, earlier in the week, and somebody mentioned, man, if Arlington didn't split up like they do, Arlington would be a powerhouse, but they have four or five schools now in greater Arlington. You mentioned Frisco, same kind of thing. That's a, that's a, that's a local government thing, Yeah, it right? is. That's a yeah, local government thing. I would say, yeah, school choice. I mean, yeah. what, what, do you, what do the parents want? Do they yeah. want, you know, 4,000, 5,000 enrollees yeah. high schools, or do they want four or five different smaller high schools? Wow. That becomes the question. Good stuff with Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You and I talked about it last night uh, on the, the forthcoming Eyes on Texas multicast, but, you know, we can all talk about the five stars and Colin Simmons and, you know, Ryan Wingo and uh, Brandon Baker. These dudes are studs. But uh, you do like some of those three-star guys. And Stark has uh, done a great job of developing, he and his staff, the Tavondre Sweats and Jalen Fords and those guys who weren't heavyweight names on signing day but turned into leaders and great players. Who are the guys in this class that you really like that, that, that are maybe not as, as well thought of? Yeah, I think it's important to point out that, you know, this national championship or this playoff team that's about to play for Texas has more three-stars starting on it than five-stars. You know, they have three three-star guys on the offensive line. They got two on the defensive line. So you need these guys. It's like the NFL, as I was saying earlier. You want to hit on the first-round guys. You want to hit on the second-round guys. But the dudes you draft from rounds four to six are going to make up a bulk of your program, and that's true on the college side as well. I really like Jordan Johnson Rebel, the, the cornerback out of IMG. He's a Texas native coming back home, played high school football uh, here in the DFW area. So that that was a big uh, pickup for them. I like Parker Livingston. You know, he he, he didn't play as much uh, his senior year because he was injured, but he's a big play wide receiver um, that's going to be really good when he gets back healthy. And then a guy that we saw during the state championship game that I think impressed everybody was Alex January. You know, we've had him as a four-star player at Dave Campbell's the whole time. He's a three-star composite dude. When he gets to that Bo Davis school of becoming a badass, that dude's going to get good, right? Like when he fixes his body, when he gets into the weight room, when he focuses only on football, uh, his transformation is going to be big time. and He's going to be an interior player um, that's going to be really, really good. If I'm Texas, I'm living on South Texas defensive linemen, right? Probably even more positions than that, but definitely uh, defensive line. Guys like Byron Murphy come out of there all the time. So I, I really like those guys. Nate Kibble's another one. I think they did really good on that second tier of prospects like Colin Simmons, Kobe Black, like those guys, my mom could turn on film and be like, yeah, that dude's really good at football. It's that next group that's going to separate you from those other teams because you're going to burn out at the top sometimes. Guys are going to transfer. They're going to go do other stuff. But if you can hit that second tier, keep those guys around and develop them, that's going to what make, that's what's going to make this program be a year-in, year-out contender. That's a good point. I, I, I like that. Uh, let me ask you about, because this, this uh, particular recruiting class seems like there's a 
Now, it seems like it is a focus on defensive backs. Got a lot of DBs in this class. Been talking about them um, all day long. It's six if you include Andrew Makuba. So it's definitely a focus to rebuild the secondary uh, with this group. What are your thoughts about the young DBs they brought in? You got any favorites among these young DBs that they brought in? Yeah, I really love Kobe Black. I mean, I, I know a lot of people think he's going to be a safety, but I mean, he's really good cover corner. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up kind of being like the boundary cover guy, or you know, maybe even a star down the road. And then Xavier Phillips to me was a huge flip. I mean, McKinney, you watch that McKinney defense, you want to sign all of them, right? I mean, they knew how to play defense. They were an incredible secondary, especially. Uh, he's really fast. He's really good in coverage, but he will knock you out. Like that is a physical physical dude in the box and so i think he's going to bring something to this texas texas secondary that maybe they've lacked they've had some guys who are physical and they've had some guys that are really fast they haven't had a lot of guys who are both of those things i, I think with a year or two of development he can be one of those dudes that, that can do it both ways uh xavier phil Sami out of mckinney hey mike mike craven senior writer dave campbell's texas football you also uh, do a podcast uh, at dave campbell's focusing on texas a&m and you cover the state so uh, mike elko uh you know longhorns got in there and got ty anthony smith from him at the end uh obviously trying to stabilize some things what's your read on what the aggies are doing right now uh, coaching staff wise and and in, in, in the talent acquisition realm yeah, it just kind of broke a, a couple minutes before y'all called me. Jay Bateman, uh, he was the inside linebacker linebacker coach at Florida, uh, was at North Carolina for a little bit with Matt Brown. He's going to be the defensive coordinator. And so they're starting to put together the staff, Colin Klein, uh, there as the offensive coordinator. It's hard, though. Like, it's harder than it's ever been to, to get that first class kind of signed away because you get the job in December, and all of a sudden the portal is open. Um, you're still doing bowl practice and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, early signing day is there. They're going to have to figure out something with, with the calendar and how it goes. But I, I think for A&M right now, it's just holding on to as much as you can and then using the portal to supplement what you lose. And then you go into that 2025 class trying to sign a top five, top ten class. I went back and looked at Sark's whole roster. And I think there's only three or four guys from that first kind of that transition class that are playing real meaningful football. So a lot of times it's a wash everywhere. I think you're just trying to hold on to some dudes, try to get some talent in there. But really, this is going to be a portal-heavy class that uh, uh, is going to have to do it that way to, to win right away. Just, you, it, I always found it interesting. They, they hired Elko thinking, well, maybe he can keep a lot of this team together. But I just don't think in modern football there's a whole lot of loyalty, right? There, there was never much loyalty between the coaches. They were always leaving and going other places. And I think on the other side, they're starting to figure out that you know, this guy's not maybe loyal to the position coach that recruited him or to the school that they're at. You know, they're trying to do what's best for them. And, and I think you're seeing that with an Evan Stewart or Walter Nolan and a lot of those other guys that are transferring. You know, Mike, you obviously, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of these coaches uh, around the state of Texas and you're really familiar with the programs. Who in your mind had a surprisingly good signing day um, out of these uh, college football programs in the, in the state? Uh, people are going to hate me for saying this. I know you're not allowed to talk about Texas Tech on Austin Airways on Austin Airways anymore. Uh, but if you can go six and six in the regular season and then sign your first ever five star recruit from an hour from Baylor, um, and then also sign the best recruiting class in what is now the Big Twelve, right? Texas and Oklahoma are gone, so we're we're looking at a new landscape in the Big Twelve. Tech got, Tech signed the best class in the Big Twelve by a pretty decent margin. Um, they're going to be good. They're going to be contenders. They have money out there. Uh, McGuire is an energetic, you know, electric guy. Uh, what they were able to do uh, was pretty impressive. And you look on the flip side, like Baylor's last in the Big 12 in recruiting. 
Texas Tech is first in the Big 12 in recruiting. You know, that Baylor job came down to Dave Aranda and Joey McGuire. I think I think his ability to recruit in the modern age, like that, that is what is most important. Like development is still important, but being able to get the dudes on campus is where this game is going towards. He's going to be able to do that. That staff is going to be able to do that. I thought it was a really good class. For uh, Texas Tech and Joey McGuire. And then they got a bowl win the other night, won the Independence Bowl. And uh, before we let you go, Mike, props to your alma mater, UTSA, Mike, uh, Jeff Trailer, first ever bowl win the other night, yep. uh, beating Marshall up there in the Frisco Bowl. That had to be pretty cool to see. And you told me you, you believe that's it for Frank Harris. He's done, right? We're not, we're, no more Frank Harris for the Roadrunners? <laughs> Yeah, no more Frank Harris for the Roadrunner. Seven surgeries on his left knee, three on his right, two on his shoulder. Uh, I think he's ready to go. Just answer the phone, be a sales guy, make some money for somebody else. <laughs> and never buy a beer in San Antonio ever again, I don't think. Uh, cool stuff. Hey, Mike, thanks, man. Great stuff. Uh, follow Mike and all of his stuff at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He's on uh, Twitter or X at Craven Mike. Just go backwards, Craven Mike, uh, the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Year-round, man. They cover it better than anybody. It's uh, really, really good coverage, high school and college. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, All right, Mike. and be looking for that uh, Eyes on Texas multicast to drop today. We've got some really good stuff in there. Mike did a, a, about a 10-, 12-minute interview himself with Greg Powers, who's the national, who's the recruiting director at uh, Dave Campbell. So pretty good stuff, yeah, no, uh, Mike, his thoughts yes. on, the, on the, uh, the UT signing class. We'll be looking for that. It'll be on YouTube at the Horn YouTube page later today. Also Dave Campbell's YouTube page. It's Eyes on Texas. It's a podcast. Hope you enjoy that. We'll come back when we do, Rod. Who said that? Who said it? Who said it? We'll find out next. D.D. Mega Doodoo, I'm sorry, Mangoodoo. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well I don't get a brain bag comb. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. All right, who said that? Um, great feature before 10 o'clock every morning. Play some audio from around the sports landscape and try to determine who the heck said that. Who said that? I got something for you here, Ty. Uh, Ty, can you play that uh, piece of audio I sent you just a little bit ago on the uh, the X platform? Uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a lifetime long or a li- long, current Longhorn, Rod. Current go. Longhorn. See if you can guess who said this. Sorry, give me a sec. All right. Mm-hmm. College. I played on the national championship football team at St. John Bosco, so we had just won a natty, you know, and I'm really on a high horse, and I come here, and, okay, there's Xavier Worthy in this room. There's A.D. Mitchell in this room. There's Jordan Winnington. There's Casey Kane, Jonte Cook, Isaiah Nair. So I really had to lock in, and, you know, things weren't going to be handed to me here. What is your advice to other players coming into a loaded situation like that? Like, how do you see the field immediately? Stay patient and learn. There you go. Who said that, Rod? Is that DeAndre Moore? DeAndre Moore. Yeah. Uh, he was on the uh, Third Longhorns podcast, I believe. Yeah, with Shuley and those guys. That's Alex yeah. Okafer. Good stuff. Yeah. And they raved about his maturity, and you just heard a little bit of that there, talking about, hey, man, I come in from John Bosco. I'm a stud. I'm the man. Get here, yeah. and I'm, I'm just a just a dude. <laughs> but he actually is a pretty mature guy, too. He is. Um, I've, I've actually heard him uh, in some interviews. He's, he's great. Uh, okay, so nice little – that's nice. Uh, I got one for you. Ty, I sent you a bunch of them, so you can dial up anyone you want, and we can play Who Said That. If you could sum up this season, how would you sum it up? 
just really proud of our players. You know, proud would probably be the best word to describe it. I think back to our first year and then our second year and now into our third year and a lot of those players that have been with us through those three years. And the fact that in this day and age of college football that you can move on and leave and transfer when, when things aren't going your way or maybe you, you don't see the instant success that you want to have as a program. These guys stuck with us. And then I think that carried over in the way that we played this year. There were some tough games, some tough fourth quarters that we had to find a way to win. As a coach, that that's what makes you proud, you know, that these guys believed in what we were doing and then believed in game to finish those ball games in tight moments. Boom. Sark that was with Sark. Uh, Greg McElroy, it sounded like. Right yeah, there, right? good stuff. He was giving uh, some love to the uh, the guys who basically he inherited the upperclassmen. You know, a lot of this stuff, the the, uh, the things that have been achieved this year have been on the backs of the guys they inherited and developed into sure. great players. Uh, we have yet uh, to have uh, really the guys that Sark recruited himself for them to take ownership of the team. I think that's going to happen now in the next year or two. Yeah, of his guys that he recruited, yeah, like DeAndre Moore, who we just like heard, DeAndre right? Moore. There you yeah, go. He's got to take uh, some some ownership <clears throat> in that receiver room. That as it stands right now, hey. Matthew Golden is the most veteran player. I mean, he's not even been here. He's That's, coming from another school. There's definitely some targets available. Yeah, there are. Yeah, um, but first things first, they want to try to win a national championship here uh, mm-hmm. over the next couple of weeks. Hey, can we uh, play this? Who said this? Right, this is a uh, NFL coach who's not feeling real good right now. Hey, Nick, uh, I think you'd probably agree that the standard hasn't been met on either I just, side. Yeah, I just said that uh, two seconds ago. Go ahead. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm just prefacing the question. Um, I, I think you'd agree with that. So when, when you look at the differences uh, in the struggles offensively. So accountability, you could, again, when Chris asked me the question, accountability, I didn't say something to Chris that I'm not saying to you right now. Accountability is the, the main Main one of the main core values we have, and we live by those every single day. Wow. Uh oh, Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni. Yeah, he's getting he's getting angry. He doesn't seem happy at all. He's getting frustrated. Uh, now you're seeing Nick Sirianni and you know Jalen Hurts, both of those guys showing kind of frustration. Apart. Yeah, they're showing frustration with the media. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, that's obviously there's some regression going on with the Eagles, and nobody can really explain it or quantify it because they got talent. The talent's there. Yeah, they were in these the Super Bowl are, a year ago. These are scheme issues. These are culture issues. And they have good leadership, too, in Jalen Hurts, and they really can't figure it out. So I understand the frustration. Well, and adjustments have been made to that offense. And um, the Jalen Hurts is not healthy, I don't think, and he's turning the football over. And the defense. And the defense and the is the defense is struggling, too. And yeah, Jalen Hurts, what has he got? Uh, 19 touchdowns and 17 turnovers? Yeah, between fumbles and, uh, and uh, interceptions, without a doubt. Yeah. All right, Ty, I sent you a bunch of clips. Dial up another one, if you please, and we can play. Who said that? Yeah, you got to believe in Coach Prime. You know, have an opportunity to play with somebody who done it at the highest level, gold jacket level. Um, Many, very few can say they did that. You know, I got two Heisman candidates, you know, Shadir Sanders, Travis Hunter. You do. They're amazing. You know how they go. Um, Yeah, man, and if you ain't rocking with us and you say you're a dog and you, you claim you're a dog, why are you not coming to Colorado? There you go. Why are you not helping Recruiting. somebody who look like you? Thank you. Yeah, you got to believe in Coach. Okay. You might not know who that was, but that was the five-star offensive tackle Jordan Seaton, um, who has chosen not to sign with Colorado, although he committed to Colorado. So he talked a lot of trash, but uh, multiple schools have been in contact uh, with the top. So I'm not, he didn't sign yesterday. From he, he did not sign on Wednesday according to reports. I was going to send a piece of audio with uh, Ryan Day, but he doesn't really say anything. 
Because you know the kid, the, the number one recruit in the country, the kid from Florida, the receiver? Yes. Yeah. He didn't send his paperwork until like 10 o'clock last night. Like he made everybody wait. <laughs> what I tell you about receivers? They're divas. <laughs> they like attention, man. Trust me. I'm a DB. I have to deal with them my entire life. They're divas. They all are. They all want attention, even the good ones. Even the good ones. And, and there's just a – Especially the good ones. Because I, I think the audio that I saw was uh, Ryan Day was at the podium doing it. And His guy word, comes up and – Word came in that yeah. he, it's official, and he was yeah. like – he almost, he almost collapsed. He's, He's like, like, oh, thank oh, God. <laughs> his hand over his heart. Thank the Lord. Woo. Man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Got to buckle his knees a little bit. Trust me. Ed, recruiting okay. will stress you out. It will stress you out. Oh, I still remember Mac Brown telling the story when who was the big tight end that, that spurned them? Ooh. A&M. Went to A&M. I'll get you that story. Oh, was it the brother? Was it? Who was it? Uh, who, I'll, I'll look it up. Okay. Because it's a funny story on recruiting. There, there's too many of those. It's not. This is nothing new. The divaness. No, it's not. We'll tell you that. Come back. Hey, it's the fabulous fifth hour coming next on a Thursday.